This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here tonight to discuss the defense from the Bears game. Obviously, the better side of the ball to be talking about. We've had a lot of that this year where the Ravens have played well on one side. But here to talk about the defense tonight is our good friend, Jordan Coe. Jordan, how you doing? Ken, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm happy to, happy to my heart has survived another wild, wild Ravens week. 
Yeah, unbelievable uh, uh, win, frankly. Uh, so many things in this game. A lot of gifts from the Bears, I think, uh, defensively, particularly in this game. Uh, but uh, a lot of gifts when the Bears run offense, I'm saying, for the Ravens defense. Uh, but but interesting game and, and certainly a fun one to, to, to come out on the positive side. I don't know about you, a very high-tension, wind-yourself you know, might as well take a winch and roll my colon up on this game in terms of how it, it got my stomach going and lots of profanity at the screen if it's if it's like my house. Yeah, you know, the the one thing that I, I you know, when I was talking to uh, Gabe, uh, my co-host of the Situation Room, uh, you know, when we were talking about it, I was like, I think the one takeaway from this week is just that there, there's not too, too much, I think, to take away. There, this Bears team is not one that I think we're going to see one similarly replicated for the rest of the year. The injuries, Lamar being out late, all these, you know, all these factors just kind of like wound their way up into kind of just on the road, just, you know, you just kind of have to take the win, be happy that they snuck one in when, when they really needed it. I think it's going to, it's mm-hmm. going to be a big win down the road or, or kind of when, when the everything's tallied, but there's, I don't know. There's too much to take away from this week. <laughs> well, fair enough. It's certainly it's a very big win for divisional uh, things, in particular against the Steelers, because the Steelers have a tie already. So every every win is a win against the Steelers, as far as we would see it right now. And it's also a common opponents win for teams like the um, Bears, uh, sorry, the um, uh, Bengals and the Browns. Uh, where the common opponents come before the conference, right? For in the in determining in the division, so they, they still have to win enough divisional games to get by that. But but you know this this ends up being an important win for that purpose. Anyway, I, let's talk about some defense. And the, the first thing that came to mind, of course, is the big play on the eight, the eight zero pass rush, the eight man pass rush uh, given up to Dalton. So many really stark similarities to what happened four years ago on New Year's Eve. Uh, we started with the uh, uh, the furious comeback both teams had already produced to go to that point. Those That Ravens team in 2017 in that, in that New Year's Eve game was down 17 to three. They came all the way back to be up 27, 24, 30 to 27. I'm not sure which I, it I was. Think, but they, I, think 20, I think 27, 24. Okay, so they were up three. They were up three. I think that's and, right. Yeah. And this team, I tell you what, a one point deficit at seven to six looked like a chasm to me for parts of that third and fourth quarter. Um, a furious comeback, maybe slightly overstating it. They kicked a field goal to go up nine to seven. <laughs> but, uh, but still very happy to have that comeback made. Yeah, but you know the Andy Dalton thing, kind of the big plays, the missed tackles. There was there was there was plenty of this one that that made it feel like they they were just there were just shades in that moment, especially on the uh, on the fourth or the third and one play before the Bengals went for it on fourth down, where I thought they were going to convert that one. That that moment seemed like the moment where it was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, so so the, the, that Bengals team, of course, faced that do-or-die fourth and 12. Uh, it was for 53 seconds left in the game. The Bears had to convert a fourth and 11 with a minute and 48 to go. But either case, if they if they get closed out on that down, game over. Ravens win it uh, in either one. Uh, Andy Dalton completed a 49-yard touchdown in each game, unbelievably, uh, on fourth and 11 or 12. That 2017 game, that, that cost them a playoff spot. Uh, it, it could well be that the, the, the comeback by Huntley 
after the touchdown in this game actually saved the Ravens playoff post. Yeah. I, I mean, when it all comes down to it, there, it was a, it was, it's looking like a necessary win. The Ravens would have fallen out of first place in the AFC North if they would have lost this game after the Bengals picked up that win against the Raiders. So, um, you know, the, the Ravens are at a point where they can't give away any easy, any games that they shouldn't be get, kind of giving away and they need to kind of take everything they have in front of them. So incredible gutsy performance by Huntley down the stretch and, you know, goes to show that that the system and the faith is is there with him for a reason. Maybe they should have tried to air it out a little bit sooner, so they, it wasn't quite the nail biter that it was. It seemed like all game long. Mm-hmm. A little bit of the shades of Lamar from last year on Monday night to see him roll right out of pressure. Lamar didn't really; he was never under pressure really in that on that play last year when he came back from the bathroom, but. Uh, Huntley was. He was distinctly under pressure, rolling right. Uncorked a great throw to an open receiver, of course, but but still a great throw and uh, made it easy for Watkins to go up and get the ball. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, I, I'm still stunned that they, I'm still stunned they had that comeback and they came back down the stretch. I think that of all the of all the moments this year, even I, I felt better about Justin Tucker kicking that 66 yard kick than I felt about the Ravens' chances hmm. when they got the ball back after the kickoff in this one. <laughs> you got a lot of faith in Tucker. That was an indoor kick, but I still couldn't believe it. it, it I, I mean, it, I, both unbelievable. <laughs> but this, one, this comeback seemed far more, less yeah. believable to me. I mean, Huntley, and then he almost he almost throws the, I mean, it was clear interference, but he almost throws the pick right out of the gate. And it was just like, you know, I, I, thought, I thought it was done. <laughs> All right. So I, I can't talk about this topic on radio because I get an eight-minute segment twice per week. So there's not time to talk about this, but I do want to talk about math and football a little bit here in this next section with you, because if there was ever a game where a Ravens opponent really flunked their math test, this was it. The, the Bears made a number of mistakes from an analytics standpoint that really do not make sense. I mean, analytics overstates what this is. Data analytics people know more math than I do now coming out of school. And you know that's something that, that you know, as an actuary is... is What's the word I'm looking for here? Somebody who's more English than me. It's, it's, it, I don't feel good about that, but it's the truth that we, we forget a lot of the math that, 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 we, that we learned when we were in school. This is an analytics. This is basic decision tree math. That's all that is. Anybody who's had a, a, col- a low-level college business course has run into it. Anybody who took the not-for-math probability and stats course as a humanities elective in your freshman year of college has had all this all this math and more and probably they're teaching it in high school now i really don't know but very basic stuff The, the going for two decision to me was one of the truly unbelievable things that they would throw away their 15 yard penalty for one yard of field position on a on a two point conversion yeah, I, you know, and I think the way I would describe the, what you're calling all this would be kind of just like the quantification of our decision making on a day to day basis, right? Like when we're decide if we're going to cross the street, right? Like we look both ways. You you take all the information that's in front of you and you decide whether or not you're going to take a step forward or not, right? And a lot of ways, that's all we're talking about here when we're talking about the statistical stuff, right? Like, are am I going to make is 15 yards versus one yard worthwhile? Is like the two points mm-hmm. instead of the one point going to make an ultimate difference i don't even know if they could have still taken that two-point conversion and not taken the penalty i think they could have like i don't yes, think that, they could have yeah so 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 to me like in that sense they absolutely flunked this right but it's really it's, just yeah. kind of like 
like deciding whether or not like when a bowl of soup is really freaking hot, like if you can feel the heat coming off of it, maybe you blow on it or you yeah. wait a minute before you take a bite of it, right? Like to me, that's like, like people treat analytics like it's this whole separate thing, but it's really just right. processing the information that we have in front of us and turning it into something that, that like carries a quotient that comes with that. And so yeah. that can be really heavy. And that's not the way people like to think about how they make their decisions. But I think every single day, people are making decisions like that all through, like even even without the business classes, even without college, even without oh, high sure. school math. These things are happening and people aren't realizing they're happening. If there was some kind of way for the, the, the actuarials of the world to, to translate that into a way, I think the word that you, like, I don't know the word you're looking for either, but that that's kind of where all this comes down to, where it's just kind of like, sometimes it's just like, you just have to think this through for a minute, but like, the other part is these NFL teams, we're talking about billion dollar, a billion dollar industry, right? Like maybe you need to pay some really, really, really intellectual math guy $150,000 a year, $10,000 a game to stand on yep. the sideline and tell you the math and the situation that you need it. And whether you listen and most or teams not, have it's that, by the way. Yeah. Well, teams have apparently they definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think here's what I think happened. I think that the, there's a chart that would tell you it's better to go for two under certain circumstances. Like if you think there might be two drives left and not one, and maybe they did think that, then you might go for two. But it doesn't mean you sacrifice the 15 yard penalty to do it because the the 15 yard penalty, if you pooch the kickoff, was going to improve their chance of winning the game by more. So. Now, we're talking, we're going to major in minors to start with here because their their chance of getting the the difference in chance of getting two or one point was about two or three percent of win probability. I talked to Eric Eager of PFF, who's a um, a applied math PhD and runs the is in charge of PFF research and development. So smart math guy and, and definitely someone who I trust on judgments of this type. And I think their model is, is reasonably good in terms of that. Going to have him on for a show, by the way, too soon to talk about this game in particular. But now there are a couple things. So if they were down 15 to nine, that's if they make the two point conversion. And then they started at the 25 yard line after the kickoff, which not unreasonable if they had to kick off from the 40 their chance to win the game would have been 16.6%. This is the Ravens' chance to win the game would have been 16.6%. So the Bears are trying to minimize that, obviously. If they're down 14 to 9, starting from the 25, it's 19.8%. So they actually gain a three, you know, 3.2 know, percentage points in chance to win if they had made the two. Okay, with me so far? Yep. All right. So they didn't, and it stayed 13 to 9. Um, uh, the other the other possibility is um, if they had kicked off, and this is what might have happened if they'd taken the 15-yard penalty on the kickoff, they could have reduced the chance to win to 15.3% if they could have held the Ravens to the 15-yard line instead of the 25-yard line. So that yardage actually probably had more value than the extra point in this case, which isn't really surprising given it's the difference between being up four and up five, right? Or up five and up six, sorry. Particularly when you've got to go the entire length of the field as well. You know, if when, when the Ravens have got to score a touchdown, three, four, five yards can make all the difference in the world. I mean, even if you take the touchdown that they ended up scoring, if that's, that's you know, goal to go in eight instead of goal to go in three, that's mm-hmm. a completely different play and a completely different situation for the Ravens. Yeah. And and I, I, I think, 
you know, given the 15 yard difference or a 10 yard difference, that that would certainly have been, uh, you know, could have could have been very substantial in in that situation. I agree. Okay, so those things, I think they made the wrong judgment on that on that call. But I think the optimal case was what you suggest is they go ahead and try for the two point conversion from the two yard line and then also kick off from the. 45 it would have been try and pooch it try and hold the ravens in so they failed on both of those that wasn't even the big failure the biggest failure of all is goodwin caught the ball behind the defense had an opportunity to go down if he went down inside the five yard line the ravens had two timeouts so they would have had to call one immediately then they would have called one after first down then the clock would have run twice and they would have been down to basically the last second or two to kick the field goal and you know the bears probably would have called their last timeout at that point and they would have just kicked for the win, 96, 97% on a 20-yard field goal. Maybe even in Chicago, a little bit of win, call it 95. It still would have been a much higher probability of winning the game for the Bears than what they gave the Ravens in terms of having a, a drive up the field. And the only point I want to make out of this is this one, that I don't want to hear about you have to take the sure thing. It's fucking bullshit. And I don't often do scatologies on here, but it is complete fucking bullshit. It, uh, both of those outcomes, a sure outcome of scoring the touchdown just exposes you to a different risk, namely the risk of Huntley driving up the field and scoring a touchdown. The, 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 uh, the other op- uh, opportunity of you, you kneel inside the five, it exposes you to, to three snaps you have to take which incredibly low risk in terms of a, a victory formation snap. And then a kick you have to make, which is, I think is going to be about 95%, even with a bad kicker, windy situation, a 20 yard field goal is going to be a very high probability. So I just say you have to evaluate all risks. Don't ever tell me there's a sure thing in here. Cause neither of them are sure things. Yeah. You know what, what's interesting to me in this situation, I didn't even think about it even in the moment and until after and kind of some different things popping up on Twitter today, it didn't even cross my mind that he should have gone down in that instance before he got there. And so what, what really conjured into my brain was, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit when it comes to the defense is how much of this is like, you know, where do you separate the line from what the players need to know what they need to do Uh and like what is expected coaching, right? Like the Bears had to have known that they were going to run a double move there, right? They had to have known that they had three receivers in routes. They have to tell those guys, if you get behind the defense and you get a first down, go down and go down and bounds. And and how do you, you know, send it to the huddle. That's all you have to do. Send it to the huddle. And you know, it it just has to be a code word like Geronimo. Well, if you have Geronimo, that means you do not score. If you get behind the defense, you go down inside the five. Uh, It's, I I, I don't know why it's so difficult. And if they started doing it in practice, all you got to do it is, is have some drills of this type occasionally in practice. And, and you have to know the code word. But yeah, ever screw it, up on the code word, that's 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 lapse or whatever it would be. <laughs> what what it makes me think about though is that there there's a lot of debate right now, and we can, you know, we'll we'll I'm sure we'll talk about this when we talk about the Ravens defense and their big play, you know, kind of susceptibility is how much of that like is on the players not to miss tackles, not to like overrun, to to stay mm-hmm. in their run fits, and how much of that is like coached and baked in, right? Like how much of right. this is the Ravens not doing enough prep work to say you need to stay in your lanes, like keep these plays in front of you. Yeah. 30 yards is better than 80 yards. There are a lot of people that basically just want to say, hey, it's the players, right? But I see a lot of the same players on this defense being coached by a lot of the same guys that we had before. Um, right. And so, you know, I don't know where that line is, but certainly in this instance, 
I, I mean, I put this on the Bears coaches and the coaching staff yeah. of not having their players in the right position. It's good. Goodwin's job to go and score a touchdown. Like that's that's his mentality. He, he's putting it. You're asking a guy to put on a double move. He's thinking touchdown the whole way. You need mm-hmm. to kind of you need to get to them in advance. And and so, you know, it, it's interesting for me. I thought that was an interesting microcosm of a similar thing happening both on offense and defense for the Ravens, where there's a lot of execution stuff that seems like it's going wrong. But it also seems like from a preparation standpoint, something is also not going right with with the the way the Ravens are trying to, like, bake this pie sometimes. Right. I I agree. And I think I think that is the harder side on which to know. I I do. I think it's 100 percent the coach's responsibility to have a code that explains when they don't want somebody to score, when they don't want when they want somebody to follow a different set of rules. I think I think it is much more difficult to tell are the missed tackles that are happening by the inside linebackers, Rob Ryan's problem for not coaching this properly, or are they Patrick Queen's problem and Malik Harrison's problem and the inside linebackers who've been doing it. Uh, so I think that is a, that is a more difficult thing. And by the way, I don't want to beat on Queen too much. He's, he's been playing well, uh, you know, since Bynes got here, but, uh, but I, I, I just want to want to make the point that I, that I think, you know, the fact that, that our inside linebackers also have some trouble in, in coverage and try to cover people behind them in particular. Um, at what point do you start blaming the coaches and say, Hey, we gotta, we gotta change our process and bring in a guy who actually understands how to tell a linebacker, how to read the quarterback and how to read the routes off the line of scrimmage. And just going back to the math end of the Bears thing, I also thought their decision to go for it on the fourth down in what late in the third quarter midfield, or, yep. yeah, that that was just a, a, a all around terrible decision. Because even if they even if they convert that fourth down, there's their offense wasn't moving that great. There's no guarantee that they they it wasn't like it, they were already in position to score. I thought that was a particularly bad choice, and the Ravens were obviously. I mean. From an outcome standpoint, they were geared up for it. The the interception was kind of fluky in the sense that it kind of rolled over Andrews and never made its way to the ground and just kind of was gifted to the Bears player. So I don't really like I don't think there was bad decision making on Huntley's part. But to me, the Ravens couldn't move the ball and the Bears could have pinned them inside the 10 yard line and instead choose to go for it in a situation where then they still were going to have to go another probably 30 yards before they even attempt a field goal. That one didn't make sense to me either. To, I, you know, let's see, what was, they were in 12 Q4, 1230, right? When that happened, I think it was, the, uh, it was, it was at the beginning of the fourth. So they were still in the bad wind situation. I'm, I'm, I, that's my recollection is that it's, it was early in the fourth quarter. So they stopped on fourth and one. It's the wildcat play, not the, 26 in the fourth. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I, 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 I probably would have said go for it, but the wind, I could be convinced that it wasn't the right call, but fourth and one, basically at your own five yard line is usually worth going for it. So it's, that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't agree with, but it's, that's what the math would tell you. Yeah. The Ravens are just, the Ravens were just sputtering on offense. And so, and, yeah. and maybe so this is less math and more just feel of the game, but it's sure. just like, it, it felt like a, that breathed life back into this game for this Ravens team in, in a moment that they just I, inexplicably didn't need, like the bears didn't need to give them that favor. Right. So, so the, the, the Bears could have played more Jim Thorpe era football because of the one yard they needed, punted and let the Ravens screw up. And they probably would have, they, you know, it's, it would have been a, you know, they would have been back in their inside their own 20 almost certainly. And, and that would have been a. a yeah, that was right forward. after the nine play one yard drive. For the yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 like to me, it's like, okay, you, you, you just had nine plays and you gave up one yard. And now you're going to try and go for it. And you're going to basically with Tucker, like, you know, and that's the way, I mean, Justin Tucker is amazing in this sense. Right. But like, that's how he changes the balance of games. Right. Like in those situations, it's almost like, 
you, you know, that, that turned something, it, obviously it didn't work out that way in that moment, but the momentum swing because of a guy like Tucker versus having a bears kicker, that's going to miss a kick makes, I think all the difference in the world. All right, let's move on to some other defensive components of this game. This is great, great discussion. I don't want to hold it back, but we need to talk a little bit about Chris Westry because he had a tough day, had really played well in the first two games he played. Las Vegas all the way back week one. Jordan, we were out there for that one. And then week 10 again against Miami, he played well both games. And he's been one of the only guys who can really tackle in this secondary. He's he, He's been good as far as I know. I don't know that he's missed a tackle yet this year. Um, he got blocked once early in this game, but then he got they got behind him on a number of throws. I want to go quickly through these. Key one 924 was one of the first long plays they had. It was a 29-yard play where Mooney got behind him along the right sideline. Um, he lost ground at the break to, to Marquise Goodman, and that was Goodwin, sorry, at uh, 955 of quarter two, and that was a 22-yard throw. So we're only talking about some of the longest plays the Bears had. Um, he did have a nice drive ending PD at 125 of the second quarter, but Q3, 846, um, he got shoved violently by Jimmy Graham. Obviously, I thought that should have been OPI, by the way, when Graham cut to the outside and made a 23-yard catch. But he, Graham, unbelievable use of physicality to get separation illegally <laughs> that he got away with on that play. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I, I thought that the Bears were really physical with West Street the whole game. They were targeting yeah. him with double moves, and they were they were trying to bait him into the contact, push him out of the way, and run by him, and were pretty successful at it. And they were doing it all game long, and we can talk about that as you kind of keep going through the, the hits here. Yeah, it's, it's, that was definitely bad. Um, uh, then then um, Mooney also pushed off hard and, and caught Dalton's pass just out of bounds. That was, I don't know how long that was. It might have been a 40-yard throw uh, down the right sideline, but you remember it, right? Yep. And then uh, he was close in coverage on that long throw. It was down kind of the right seam to Demir Bird. Um, uh, about 40 yards again. Uh, he was close enough that I think his catch radius might have been impacting the throw, but Bird had a step on him, but not two steps. So, uh, you know, there was decent coverage. I think you don't blame him for that one, but it was an overthrow that the Bears kind of uh, gave the Ravens a few benefits in this game. Then they had a third and six play um, where Westry dislodged the football to bring up fourth and six. That was with 152 left. Then they had the, the they had a False start on Peters, I think. That brought up the 4th and 11. And, of course, he got beat deep by Mooney on that play, unprotected, with an 8-0. I don't know that the Ravens would have been able to get a good bracket on Mooney by that right sideline, by the way. You know, they would have had if – they, if they'd had two receivers wide and one safety, they would have – it would have changed the pass rush dynamic. But it would have, it would have, I'm not sure that you, you, you ever really have a good chance. Now, you can, you can let Humphrey take the island on the left side if you want to do that. And then, and then have uh, either Stevens or Clark be over the top. Um, but I'm just, I'm not convinced they would have got the bracket they wanted on Mooney on that right sideline. Well, you could also bracket him from underneath too, where the Ravens could have had a guy that was dropping directly yeah. into the first move and not let, like basically told Westry, don't get beat over the top. We're going to, yeah, yeah. we're going to leave you on an Island and we're going to give you protection underneath instead of playing, you know, essentially trail technique with a safety over the top. We're going to do the inverse of that and, and giving him a chance. And quite frankly, with the way the bears have been attacking him all game, that probably would have been the smarter thing to do because they were, they were definitely running at him with double moves all game. It, it added 
had a very uh, Rashawn Melvin feel to it where when they felt like they had him in single coverage, right? Like they were running a double move at him and they were throwing a deep um, and they weren't always successful because Dalton and Fields did not have great days throwing the ball under pressure or not. I thought, um, no, that's kind of just, just, you, you know, with, with better quarterback play from both of them, um, Westry could have had, I think a much worse day overall. Right. It's, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. You bring that up. I mean, they definitely are targeting Westry. And even when they got to the two point conversion, they targeted him again on a rub route. So they set up commit, uh, you know, to, to basically, he didn't even make a, he didn't even make a move to put his hands up or anything. It was just one of these, I'm a, I'm a stone pillar kind of rub mats, but Westry stayed with it pretty well. He, he ran around commit, came back to the point the receiver was at the pylon and that influenced, I thought the throw to be inside outside, I guess I would say, so that the receiver wasn't going to catch it in the end zone. He had to make a move to get back in. And then the, and the throw was also wide and, uh, and, and Mooney, Mooney, I think no Goodwin, not sure. Not 100 percent sure. Uh, it didn't make the play on the ball. Yeah, you know, I, I think Mooney. my, you know, in, in the bigger picture, you know, Westry didn't have a bad game. I, I just, I wonder why the Ravens are asking so. You know, we, we talk about the eight zero kind of alignment and kind mm-hmm. of their decision making in that process, but why are you going to take a guy that was essentially didn't play last year, you know, has been hurt for a major more than a majority of this year yep. up to this point, you're going to stick him on an Island in a big moment against a guy that just recently almost beat him. That, that was yep. half a foot stepped out from otherwise. It's just, you know, you're asking a lot of you're not your best guys in those situations. And you're basically saying to someone like Andy Dalton, don't, you don't even have to make a great throw in this circumstance. If things go right, I would much rather force these guys, you know, and, and maybe it was shades of Tyler Boyd, right. Where you see mm-hmm. that, where you see him fit a ball into a zone. The Ravens know how Dalton throws against zones. They weren't comfortable uh-huh. in being in zone, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and they weren't willing to take that chance, but I would, I'd rather challenge Dalton to make a great throw in that instance than challenge Westry to make an amazing play on a double move if you're not going to get the pressure. I think that's exactly what they did, though. I think they did challenge Dalton to make a great throw, and he just happened to drop it in the bucket at that distance. Now, he was open enough that it didn't have to be dropped in the bucket, but he wasn't necessarily going to be that open, and that was Dalton's only option on that play. So if you know he was he was pressured quickly enough that he didn't really have anybody else he could have thrown that ball to. He had a he had a bucket throw to that receiver, and and that was it. So you know if he makes it, you say okay, damn it, that sucks. But you know you know we did force him to make a good throw, and we didn't surrender an easy first down in zone defense like might have happened. Obviously, the play changes. It's not Mooney versus, you know, a bracket on the right sideline anymore. If you go cover three there, it's going to be Komet or it's going to be Graham or it's going to be somebody else trying to beat that zone defense in the middle of the field. If you if you rush five or four and set up and cover three. Yeah, I, I, I still, you know, I, I don't know that I agree in the sense that like Dalton, you're, you're right that he only had one place to go. You're just asking, I mean, Westry has to win there then no matter what. And if he doesn't yeah. win because he's on an island, you're going to lose. So, so you're giving to me, the, if we're talking about the math of that, basically you're, you're giving Dalton a genuine 50-50 ball, right? Whereas I think that if Dalton is throwing into a tight window, it is not a 50-50 throw, right? Like if you are, if you are press at the line of scrimmage, right? Like you have got extra like bracket help over top of all these receivers where you're showing some kind of blitz, but you're giving protection. You, you've got another safety on the backside you're you're making Dalton process Dalton had to process nothing 
He had all he had to process was getting the ball out fast enough and throwing yes. it deep enough for his guy to go get it. And so the Ravens could have made that more like a 20 or 15 percent likelihood throw. And I would rather have that than the 50 50 shot, which kind of what they were giving him. Now, if it was against Humphrey, I'm more comfortable with that. But again, without Peters and without those situations, I, I, I just it, it doesn't. And this has been my thing with the Ravens, both offensively and defensively all year. It just feels like they don't put their guys in the best situation to win. And they, they put them into these situations where it feels like they've got to be the like it is all or nothing. They're the hero in that situation or they're going to get burned and it's going to be a touchdown. And here we are yet again for what, the eighth or ninth or how, however many times it's been now over like 40 yards this year. You know, more times than more times this year than we've seen combined, I think, in the last five years alone. Um, that's not just Marcus Peters being out, right? Like there, there is, there's something else that's like kind of being baked into the backside of this. And I, I, you know, to me, it's like, you've got Lamar, like, just like, let's stop letting these big plays happen. Make teams run the full length of the field, make them work and earn every bit of it. And if they earn it, so be it. Like, and I know this is very Dean Pease and I, I was not the biggest Dean Pease fan when he was here, but he made teams work their whole way all the way up the field. The Ravens got tight in when they got into the red zone. This has been actually a very good run defense on kind of third and second and short situations. And I think the Ravens could be well served to kind of get into that bend, don't break and be good in the red zone if they let themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, that certainly could work. I, I want to go back to two points you made. The first is in asking Chris Westry to be good. Um, he's the best corner physically the Ravens have. He's, he's faster than anybody else they have. He's bigger than anybody else they have. He does bite on things, but physically, he's not overmatched by anybody in this league at this point. I mean, he's, he's, he's a, you know, a top-end speed guy who is an aircraft carrier. He's the rarest of all birds at cornerback. He's just very green. And I think that if we can watch what, the Averitt hap- what happened to Averitt against the Colts, and we can look at what happened to Humphrey against Cincinnati, I guess very you know, physically talented receivers, but also receivers who had some uh, wiggle to them in terms of showing him at something at the top of the route in each case. I think Westry can be coached up. And I actually don't think this is going to be a bad result at all now that we're by it, now that we won the game, that, that for Westry to grow from this and be a very good cornerback in this league. I, I, he's got, he absolutely has every single trait you'd want in a cornerback. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. You know, and it's just in these moments, like, I mean, we talked about it earlier. This is a huge win for the Ravens. Like, there, this is not a moment to like teach Chris Westry a lesson, right? Like, like if, if we are, <laughs> I agree with like, that. If, if we're in our like arrested development moment, right? Like, this is not the moment we need to be teaching somebody a lesson and someone's arm falling off. This is a moment that we need to stop. This is a moment where we need to put Dalton in the mathematically poorest situation that he can give us a result from, um, right. and we need to make him pay in those instances. And so, you know, I, I think the other thing that it begs the question for me and is. Why, why does it seem like sometimes when we are bringing the absolute house that the Ravens can still not seem to get guys home, right? Like as quickly there, as there, were, there were not, yeah, there were not enough blockers there for them. And the Ravens still didn't get the Dalton fast enough. Um, and so at the end of the day, if they get there fast enough, then it doesn't matter, you know, one way or the other. And I think that, I think that was the thought process is we're going to bring the house. We're going to get there before you can get the throw off. You can bite on the first move. We don't care. We don't care what Westry does. We know he bites on the first move, but we think he, we're going to get there first. Um, yeah, but, and that, but they're that not. Would be the, that would be the Marcus Peters way to do it. Because because the the he has 
he's able to to gamble on the first possible route that he sees as the likely possibility and because he, he knows the blitz will get home. I, in this case, Harbaugh did comment today, and I don't usually put a lot of stock in, in um, these comments, but I think he's being truthful on this, that they didn't process quickly enough in terms of the blitz. And I think he's referring to Stevens, if you look at the play, not getting in there quickly enough, uh, delayed. Um, now, it, it, there were... There were other responsibilities because when you rush eight, you already know they're in some sort of a mass protection, uh, uh, max protect. And so there's players there who are just basically locking up on their receiver. By the way, very frustrating for an offense to have that happen when you're when they're being denied receivers because they're they're being pass protectors. But it does, still doesn't stop the overload. Go back to us last week against Miami and, and you know, watch that it being a factor. But anyway, I think, you know, we've probably beaten on Chris Westry enough. He, it, it wasn't a good game, but I think he can recover from it. And I, I still think he's critically important to the Ravens this year. Uh, you know, they've got three guys. Even if Averett comes back, you need to have three. Um, if you lost Tavon for any reason, and Tavon's been dinged up a little bit during the year, I mean, Humphrey probably have to move to the slot, and your best three are still going to be Westry, Humphrey, and, and, uh, and Averett. Uh, maybe Jimmy Smith fits in there. Maybe he doesn't. I mean, I, they can't seem to ever get Jimmy on the field at this point. Yeah, he seems, you know, we don't, we haven't really heard what's going on with his health, but he definitely doesn't seem like it's there. And, and I, I don't really, I, I think you're right in that sense that I don't particularly trust Stevens for a lot of different reasons, um, you know, both from a cover and from kind of like a run fit uh, perspective overall. So the Ravens are going to need Westry to step up. But, I, you know, again, I also just think, you know, I, I would love to see more zone. I would love to see more, not press, but like at the line of scrimmage coverage. I think Westry would not have gotten beaten nearly as bad if he would have been at the line of scrimmage in this instance because the, it's not when he bit on the move he basically isolated his hips he froze and then he had to turn around and he didn't get his hips turned around and then he was completely beat right he was at the line of scrimmage that double move he's probably already going to have his hips flipped and then you're going to have a chance to use your physicality and all those tools that you were talking about to make right. a chance to break up that play even if even if a double move does happen so you know i, I think the ravens can do more but i, I don't know yeah, you're right. He could he could get stacked and and still play from a trail position. That increased speed might actually do him do him some some good if he's in press coverage. And being in press coverage, I mean, you don't you're just not going to do that with an eight man rush. You're not going to take that chance. But but you're but it, but being you know if if you were going to play zone, you could you could move him up the line of scrimmage on somebody like Mooney and really have him being a disruptive force because he's 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 got the length he can get into anybody's body. It's just a matter of you know how do you how do you use him most most valuably when I want to call it that let's go into packages here. Cause I want to, I want to keep the show moving a little bit here, but um, a few things about packages were interesting in this game. So the first was the bears played uh, in terms of their, their personnel and what the Ravens are reacting to a lot of 12 and 11 personnel during the game. They used a lot of tight end total snaps um, and, and they didn't really use a fullback at any point. They used an H back occasionally, but really didn't use a fullback. Um, one, one thing that, is kind of disappointing is the base defense did not really do well. Uh, 19 plays, 167 yards, 8.8 per play, seven run plays for 34, not too terrible, but 12 pass plays for 133. And you could probably guess those included the 62 yard um, bubble screen there. Yeah. You know, I, I was frustrated by the Ravens run defense played admirably well overall but it just they definitely seem to get their butts beat pretty bad in base montgomery you know 
on a couple first downs was eight, nine, 10 yards pretty regularly early. And they seem to get it cleaned up. And I don't know, I don't know if that ended up being more sub packages or kind of what was a result of that. But, um, but Montgomery had, uh, on a day where neither of the quarterbacks were throwing the ball particularly well, um, it, it felt like the Ravens should have been able to key in on the run a little bit better. And, and yeah, that's I, I was a great pretty point. disappointed. Get, that's a great point, Jordan. It's exactly right. Is, is Why the hell, with two quarterbacks like this facing you, are you not able to devote more of your resources to the run? And you know, If, if they're talking about trying to beat Joe Burrow and, and Mixon, well, then you've got a real question of how do you allocate your resources. Not this week. So it's, uh, you know, that's a great point. Um, nickel, uh, was extremely effective in this game and particularly against the pass. They really shut down, uh, the pass play 14. Let's see. Let me get, get what you have. It's, uh, 12 passes for 38, including a turnover. So only three yards, a pass. And they had the sack fumble there on the, on the, uh, uh, uh with the, the standard nickel in the game. Uh, they got a little bit, they did a little bit better with the run 4.8 yards per run, but you kind of expect that against the nickel. You do expect a lot of teams like to run into the nickel. They expect to get more yards. And of course you lighten up the box. You pay the price for that. Um, and, uh, a lot of teams are really set up to, to run against that. Yeah. You you know, it, it, I, I thought the past defense played, you know, generally pretty well, except for some of these double moves. But, you know, ultimately it was hard to diagnose because when I went back and rewatched this game, there were a lot of open throws that were missed by both Dalton and Fields um, that if they would have hit on those, these numbers would not look have looked nearly, nearly as good. Um, And there were some really ugly ugly throws from from fields in particular in this game for a guy that has kind of a really touted arm um looked really i I don't even know that he looked rattled he just looked off um you know in the game overall and so i I, it's i want to say yes you know we got a good performance from from a past defensive perspective in that regard but i think going back and watching the tape and i haven't gotten a chance to see the all 22 yet but my, my guess is that there's still a lot on the back end that is going to need to be cleaned up. And I'm not as worried about it when it comes to Cleveland, especially, you know, without Odell there now, I think run is uh, and, and Mayfield's injuries, but Pittsburgh is going to sling it all over the field. And and Ben is savvy enough to find those holes and find those spots. And, and they're going to have to figure out how to tighten that stuff up as they get into this divi- these divisional games. Yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting game where the, the presence of Tavon is going to be critical. If they if Ardarius Washington is the guy who's their fourth corner and the and the Steelers go back to a fair amount of 10 or 01 or whatever they may play, but split guys, four guys split on the line of scrimmage or even five. in a lot of these cases, the Ravens are going to need to have multiple slot corners who know what they're doing. And that's Humphrey and Tavon do it. If they have to bring Jimmy Smith in the slot, he's a savvy guy, but he's just doesn't have the, the, the real tools at this age and, and probably never did honestly, to play inside on anything but a tight end. He can, he can, you know, very big, physical, slow receiver, sure. But he's a boundary corner. And, and you know, Westry is a boundary corner. And Averitt is a boundary corner. And that, that kind of limits what the Ravens can do as much as the, the Ravens are, are blessed with a cornucopia of these uh, aircraft carrier receivers. You know, a lot of teams don't have that. They have a bunch of slot guys. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the Ravens do have weaknesses in some areas. Yeah, for sure. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how they kind of continue to clean all that up. All right, go quickly through the rest of this. They play the standard dime for fourteen snaps, uh, and uh, sorry, the rush dime for fourteen snaps gave up five point one yards of play. They they only had four outside linebackers, no McPhee for this game, so they didn't go to race car at all. They played this rush dime, which has three outside linebackers, one 
um, Campbell always in this case, and one defense. Uh, sorry, one inside linebacker. So they they had Board on the field. He's been their passing down linebacker now for quite some time, um, and that included the forty nine yard touchdown to Dalton. But otherwise, extremely successful. And uh, you know the other thirteen plays only went for a total of twenty three yards. Of course, can't exclude that one. Yeah, well, that combo of Bowser, Owe, and Houston is really coming on strong, and yeah. I'm sure we'll t- we'll talk about that in a little bit. But that that combination of guys from from a pass rush perspective and and edge setting perspective, honestly, um, has has been really really nice to see, and it's been a it's it's been maybe the bright spot, you know, along with Campbell, who's I think had a phenomenal year, um, you know, of, of what we've seen from this defense this year. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, it's been terrific, above expectation, particularly given all the turnover at that position. All right, let's move on. I, I did want to mention the one jumbo snaps. So they went to that fourth and one. The Ravens put in their only jumbo package of the game, and they put in Khalil McKenzie, who's an, a guard in air quotes. <laughs> He's gone now. Didn't the, the Ravens waived him today? Oh no, I didn't hear. I think that I think the Ravens waived him today. Um, where, where did I see that? Oh, I, I I might be wrong, but I thought I saw I thought I saw that today. Oh, I mean, I if did they pick up another defensive lineman or elevate elevate the guy? They ele- the I think they, squad? somebody got somebody got elevated. I could be okay. wrong. Maybe I maybe I misheard that. Well, let's. I I I I'm I would be not ups, not incredibly upset. It's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me if, if McKenzie's gone, but I'm mildly surprised because I thought he played well. He drew a holding flag on that fourth and one play, which would have been the umbrella for the Ravens to get out of it. They would have forced the punt, even if they'd made the first down. They, they and, waved him for Harrison. Unbelievable. That yeah. I have a problem with. Yeah, they waved yeah. him for Harrison, and they opened the – oh, McSorley came off the practice squad. But, yeah, so they, yeah. they waved him for Harrison. They probably think they can keep him, although I think other teams if might might really like the designation he has as an offensive lineman who can play defense. So it's a, uh, I would think he's got value somewhere. So we'll see how that uh, that ends up. Wow, that's that's – I'm I'm as floored as I usually get right now. Uh, <laughs> let's go into the pass rush a little bit. Um, the Ravens were very effective. And this is one of the funny things with numbers in this game before the big play. So going up to that 8-0 blitz, they'd rush six or more seven times. They rushed nine once. They got an incomplete pass. By the way, this is an odd game. They rushed nine once. They rushed one on another play. And it was really zero, and it became one. It's just you know really odd things. But the the, the one the one man rush is is understandable given you know the, the, the game circumstance. The right. nine man rush was a case of they had squeezed in to max protect, and the Ravens were were going in and square dancing with their their right. opponents. It was all green, and not, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's that was that was understandable. But they'd only allowed two completions on seven six plus man blitzes for a total of 10 yards. So 1.4 yards per play on the first of those before the PR 49, before the touchdown that, that, that put the bears ahead. It's, it's another reason why I really have trouble saying why not try it if they've had so much difficulty with it all game. And it's both quarterbacks. It was most, it's mostly Dalton actually, because he'd had two of more fields, but the rest of them were Dalton. So, so Gabe and I had this interesting conversation this week on our podcast about uh, we, were, we were talking to and, and stick with me. It's going to take me a little bit to get sure. here, but we we're talking about Greg Roman and the play calling. And basically my point was that 
of the, let's say, 65 to 70 play calls that happen over the course of an offensive game, 50 to 55 of them, any of us could make. You you could make, I could make. They're like generally, it's, it's not generic, but it's like scripted, game dictates it. Like it's not, there's nothing crazy about it. It's these extra like 10 to 15 plays that I think that, that are the areas where I measure them, right? Because everyone wants to defend Greg Roman for the other 55 plays. Fine, whatever, right? For me, it's those what happens in those other 15 high impact, high EPA, whatever you want to take it, right? And so every time you're blitzing six, seven, eight, nine, whatever number you want to take out there, right? You're rolling the dice, right? And it only takes one time to get beat on that, right? Like, so even if you have been successful the last six times in a row, but you know it's a 15% chance that if you get beat, it's going to be a huge burn, like absolutely get blown up, or like thinking of it on the offensive side of the ball, execution doesn't happen on a super complex play turns into a hold, turns into a five-yard loss, all of a sudden you're out of the play and you have to punt. Those instances are the ones where, or like on second and one where you could get a 30-yard gain and you get two yards instead, right? Those instances are the ones where like this this team is the team that drives me crazy. And so that's that, that's kind of the analysis I apply here in the sense that Wicked, Wink is playing with fire. Like, like do it five times a game, but maybe, or maybe do it three times a game, you know, maybe do it less because the one time you get burned is going to be the time that's going to beat you. Okay. So you want to show it to them. And I agree. The one, the one time you, you get burned is going to cost you. Okay. But it doesn't necessarily have to lose you the game. And the, the, the demand I have is on your high leverage plays, you better be taking a positive risk adjusted decision. Okay, so I realize there's a lot of risk on, on these plays. There's also a lot of benefit from it, too. You know, it's basically they could have gotten off the field, stop the bleeding from the, from the Bears trickling down the field and getting into field goal range and doing, you know, kicking a field goal they couldn't do anything about. So they said, okay, we're, we're, we're going all in on this hand of poker, if you, want to, if you want to call it like that. And it didn't happen to work out. It's not, I, I had somebody on Twitter tell me today, all those previous plays are meaningless because they weren't fourth and 11 and they weren't Dalton and they weren't this and they weren't that. And I'm like, you know, you're right, but football has no good control groups like that. We have to make the best choices we can from the information we have. So it's, it's just, I, I don't know how to, how to deal with it. Otherwise I want a positive risk, good risk adjusted decision. I think that eight zero blitz probably met the standard relative to other alternatives. And I, I you know, I liked it. I, I, Maybe you remember two years ago, 2019, 2018, 2018, actually, at Kansas City, the game they lost on the on the fourth and nine play. Romo did that game, and he was real upset the Ravens didn't try an eight-man rush. Yeah. And he said yeah. they should. They should. <laughs> it, it, and, you know, like you said, I want the Ravens – what I don't think that the Ravens have done – enough of this year is show one thing and done the other. Like, like, and I think the Ravens have been at times deceptive, but I I mean, this was what the eighth or ninth time that they had rushed that many guys. Like at some point they're going to figure out how to block. Well, in theory, the Ravens going to figure it out against Miami, but typically you're you're not seeing those. Like eventually they, eventually you figure it out, right? Like eventually, eventually it's going to go against you. And like, like if you look at the history of this 2021 Ravens team, like, Big plays going against you in bad situations. Like when Dalton threw that ball up, I knew it was going to be a touchdown. As soon as that ball went up in the air, <laughs> like there, there was not a doubt in my mind that that was what was going to happen. And there goes Goodwin running wide open down the field. Um, and so at some point you have to say, okay, yeah, our nature is to be aggressive. Our nature is to do all this. But like 
maybe for the entirety of the year, we're getting beat on this stuff for a reason. So like maybe, maybe now is the time we finally start to turn it down. The way I like to think about it is that I, I think the Ravens, just because of all the personnel changes, all of kind of their issues, I, I think safety is a big problem for this team right now um, and is a big problem for why this defense isn't working. When you have that situation, you've got to simplify these, like a lot of this stuff underneath it. You've got to take such like you got to take decisions away from guys like Brandon Stevens that need to be your A gap blitzers, like in those mm-hmm. situations to create those pressures. Like you just can't you can't count on some of these guys to do that some of these things like like we've expected. And that's okay because this team is not as talented and this team is not as as veteran savvy as it has been historically. And so I, I think they just I would just turn it down a little bit, just a little bit, simplify things Fair just enough. a little bit. Um, because I think that I think the whole team would benefit from that because it just, there's also, you also ratchet up the pressure on your guys in these situations. Basically you're saying, we're going to come after them. Everybody's got to do their job to, to get this right. And if we don't all execute, then we're going to get screwed. And we've seen that a lot. All right. I, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, a fair take on it. Let's continue on to the pass rush a little bit. I, I, I just want to unload some numbers on you right now. 46% of the time they rushed five plus in this game. So they were doing it pretty regularly. By the way, we're just scoring the offensive line. I'm not quite done yet. The Bears, a lot of blitzing in this game as well. So uh, it went both ways. Uh, deception in this game was extraordinarily effective. Now, this would be a good argument to use a different type of pass rush than what the Ravens did on the big play, of course. But they had 13 off-ball blitzes. Those were spread across 10 plays. And the opponents only gained, the Bears only gained 1.5 yards per play on those plays. They had three stunts, every one of them an incomplete pass. They had three simulated pressures, incomplete, incomplete, nine-yard pass, so three yards per play. Basically, everything Wink did in terms of deception worked. Everything he did in numbers up to that point had worked. You know, they tried another numbers as opposed to a deception. I guess they could have done either. Um, you know, it, the, the, the only thing you, uh, I, we're not going to talk about that play anymore, but, but, you know, th- there were other avenues open, but what I'll, I'll just point to this and say everything Wink did basically in the pass rush until that point had really worked out. So it's, I, I have a hard time blaming him for the fact that Dalton finally made an on target deep throw in this game. Uh, yeah, just because I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I don't even my only I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, but my only qualm from that was that it wasn't even like I, I mean, it wasn't even a great like all he had to do was throw the ball up there. Like it was like mm-hmm. they didn't even they didn't even make him make a throw. Um, and I think that's that's the part that sticks sticks with me. Like like there was there was there was no skill in what Dalton did on that play. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Uh, let's talk individual players and we, we should spend some time on this and uh uh, pick a player. You're the guest. Who would you like to talk about first? You know what? Patrick Queen, I think, is a guy that needs some 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 love because he had a really rough start to the season, but he has been – the Ravens have reduced – and this kind of goes to my simplification argument. The Ravens have reduced his role. They've told him, key in on these things. We're going to let Bynes be kind of like the primary, take these pieces away. We're going to take some of your past, like past defense responsibilities away and take you out of those situations. We're going to let you just kind of like see and go get the ball and do those things. And he has responded. I mean, essentially, in a lot of ways, he won this game for them because he's the reason they missed the, the initial field goal on that great play that he had kind of keying up that, yeah. that run to the side. His pass rush has been phenomenal, I think. His sideline to sideline speed has been really good he got to fields on one of the like a, a run that fields had to the end he like basically got to him on the sideline before he was able to pick up mm-hmm. a first down i've just been for a guy that was pretty maligned 
he has stepped up pretty significantly and had probably two or three kind of like gold star or impact plays that you would remember after the game without even going back and watching the film. Um, and if he continues on that progression and they can just stack on top of that, right? Like, okay, now we're going to add small hook zones to responsibility. And yeah, okay, maybe other teams know that Patrick Queen's going to be in a hook zone. Who cares? We're going to build around that, right? But then we're going to let him get comfortable with that. And then we're going to add another piece. And then we're going to let you buzz here. We're going to let you do this. And we're going to let you do that and then and right. build up from it. Um, but he, he's responded incredibly well playing next to Bynes and, and had a great game. Yeah, I, I, he's responded extremely well to the trail responsibilities. I, I just, I, I like to point to that. I think he, he's actually keying off what Bynes does very well. So staying a gap behind the play is something that he seems to be more akin to doing, more more adaptable to doing. Uh, you know that obviously allows him to react to some cutback opportunities and whatnot. Uh, but but uh, he's just he's been very effective in that perspective. They are doing what you talked about for Stevens. They're really doing for Queen. I mean, he had ten blisses in this game from off ball. What that's effectively telling me is. They're not putting him in coverage situations anymore, even zone coverage responsibilities. Um, I don't know that I really noticed a particularly terrible play in zone coverage in this game, but I will say Patrick Squeen still has the same uh, limiting factor is that he has no idea what's going on behind him. So you're not getting any 2-3 value where, where with, with um, Bynes, you get that. And Bynes has already made a play on several balls headed over his head to a receiver he can't see or he doesn't know exactly where it is, where he is. I, I, I just think Martindale's doing a very good job of limiting Queen. He's off the field on third down, boards on the field most of the time, and he's on on the early downs. He's blitzing a lot, and, and they're limiting what responsibilities have his coverage, which is great. He's done a great job against the run, I think. Sometimes he's done a good job against the pass. And by the way, they, they've picked up a few responsibilities for him as a pass rusher where he's been a pick player on some I don't really call them stunts, but they but they effectively are. They're crosses, but I don't like to double count the thing, so I don't call it a stunt. Um, it, anyway, that on, on those plays, he's done some positive things to free up other pass rushers as well. Yeah, and and he could be really. I mean, with that combo of Bowser that we've talked about earlier, Bowser, Houston, and Oa. If Oa mm-hmm. is the inside guy, and you've got you've got Queen and Oa kind of running that kind of like cross blitz, like you were talking mm-hmm. about that historically, like Pittsburgh middle linebacker cross blitz. I mean, I mean that's that's a menacing two guys to be kind of coming downhill against you. It's a lot of speed. It's a lot of speed. Yeah. And, and uh, Oa uh, gives you that extra dimension of length that is incredibly valuable. I mean, he's not only tr- tremendously quickly, but that length is, has been deadly against some guards and against Eichenberg, I think in particular, who's a short arm tackle, uh, really, really had a easy day with him. I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I, I'm positive on Queen. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that, that he's got this new role. I hope that that they're able to do exactly what you say and, and build the blocks one at a time until they, they you know, find he's a, a productive NFL linebacker. And, and maybe the appropriate place is for him to just stay at the will for the rest of his career and not go back to Mike. Where are you on that? Yeah, I, I, I'm. I mean, if if he could get a little bit more of that. Uh, the awareness that you talked about and kind of like figure out how to like, just like get a little bit more depth and understanding of what's going on behind him. I am fine with him being at the will for the rest of his career. And, and the, with the, the style that the Ravens play, I mean, they just need to find, you know, 
some other kind of Mike linebacker to be in that Bynes role, whether it's Bynes or somebody else. Those, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think those guys are terribly like Fort is a similar guy, right? Like they aren't terribly difficult to find um, as like to, to get that cerebral, but not, you know, athletically talented guy. Yep. Um, and you pair him with a guy like Patrick Queen. And, and that, that actually seems like a good salary cap allocation to me where you get yeah. a, vet, a guy near ish, the veteran minimum um, to go along with kind of your real speed, heavy hitter kind of guy to go with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, it play, the, the difference in play speed between the two is almost hilariously different. I mean, Queen, Queen is in, Queen's play speed is improved tremendously at will, which is great. But but Bynes's play speed is still faster, I think. And and it's he's so much faster than his actual speed. It's funny. Don't ever bring up the forty time because it's all about recognition, <laughs> di- diagnosis at middle linebacker, and how quickly. You can you can go from your read steps to your play steps and 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 make that uh, play. Anyway, I'll pick another player. I want to talk about Tyus Bowser. Obviously, uh, a terrific game from him. The best he's had as a pass rusher in his time as a Raven, which I think is really saying something. Uh, but he's uh, had effectively four sacks in this game. And let me let me see tell you how I'm breaking that down. He had two sacks, one strip sack and one regular sack to end the ball game. Uh, those both ended drives, of course. Um, then he had a third play where he took down fields for a gain of six on third and eleven. That to me is a sack plus six. It was a it was a it was a taking down the quarterback sh- well short of the first down, and and the yardage doesn't really matter. And plus he knocked out fields for the game with a very clean hit. It wasn't a knee shot or anything dirty. Just bruised his ribs or broke them or whatever it was, and and sent him to the locker room. All very good things. And then he had a fourth. Sack that was negated would have been a drive-ending play by Humphrey's defensive hold. Kind of a ticky-tack call. Not going to not going to be too concerned about that. But one that that uh, it could have been a fourth sack very easily for him. Or sorry, it would have been a third sack, but a fourth effective sack for the game for Bowser. Just a fantastic game of getting to the quarterback. He did other things as well. Well, but the pass rush in particular, best we've ever seen from him. Yeah, I, I, he played a phenomenal game. And I, I, I think the Ravens have just got to find a way to let this combination of O.A. Houston and Bowser just kind of like be on the field a lot together, get after the quarterback. The stunts were, you know, I think the 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 sack that didn't happen on the Humphrey hold was on a stunt from Bowser up the middle, I believe, um, or, or a delayed blitz, either way. But it, it just gives the Ravens a threat of having three guys two guys that can definitely win on the edge of any of the three. And then a third guy doing something else. And who knows what that is and who knows which guy that is. Um, and, and it's just a really, it's a menacing package and it's great to see Bowser, you know, right. having a great game like this. Yeah. It was, it was a delayed blitz on that sack by sign. I had to look it up too, but uh, uh, it, that was a, that was a terrific play. Bowser's lining up a lot off ball. And by the way, the other thing about these four effective sacks that Bowser had is he still is dropping a coverage half the time, probably. I mean, he had at least 15 in this game. And I, I, I count the off line of scrimmage drops. So I have those for him. And it's only like six. But I know that he was off ball a fair amount in this game. And, and that would have been more probably than that. I'd be surprised if it wasn't at least 15 times that he, that he was in coverage in this game. So it makes it all the more effective from a rate perspective of how often he's getting home with these pressures and sacks. Yeah, for sure. You know, Another guy that I take from this game, and, and I think he's quiet. I mean, he's had some bad plays this year in, in a couple of big moments because he's been left on an island. But I thought Marlon Humphrey played a really phenomenal game. Yeah. I mean, he is a guy 
we, we some of the, some big pass breakups in this game. But I, if you were if you're really watching the game, his run defense and his when he's playing in the slot is just one of really impressive technique in the right place, right time. Isn't like letting guys run him, run him over is kind of technically sound all across the board in terms of, of how he approaches the game and what he brings to this team. I mean, I, you know, obviously who knows what this team would look like without him, but I think he, he's a little under the radar in the sense that he's had a couple big impact plays that, you know, particularly in, um, in the, uh, uh, the Cincinnati game where it just kind of like looked really terrible against guys that it, that he really shouldn't have been, um, you know, take some of those away. I just, I just think he's had a, had a good game and a really good year. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's been good. Uh, and, and I really liked him in the, in this game. He, he targeted half a dozen times in this game, two receptions for 10 yards, a PL six and a PR four, even on that PR four, he gave up was fairly late in the game. He did a good job of taking the guy down inbounds, it was when we weren't sure if we were wanting the clock to run or not <laughs> because the Bears had the ball and and they hadn't quite gotten to the fourth and eleven play yet or the fourth and twelve whatever it was fourth. And I think it was right at the two minute warning though, wasn't it? It probably sounds right. Um, and yeah, but 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 yeah, he's just you know technically technically for all the Ravens, the Ravens have had a lot of really bad technical play this year, and, mm-hmm. and Marlon Humphrey has not been that guy. I don't think. Right, I, I, you really see. And this is one of the things I, I take from Westry's play, too, as a positive. Westry u- used his hands very well in this game. All the things he did wrong, double beaten by double moves, other things. But, boy, he's like Humphrey in terms of getting those hands in on the football after the catches in the hands of the receiver and before he gets to the ground and it's safely ruled a catch. And he's, he knocked through, knocked loose two in this game under exactly those circumstances. One denied a, I, they might've both ended drives, but one definitely ended a drive uh, uh, or created a fourth and one, right? That was the one. Yeah. That, that was the fourth and one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, good, good choices all so far. Let me go with one more. I like uh, Justin Matabike as somebody I think we had to talk about in this game. I, he did a, g- a very good job. A little bit of an increased role for him. He played about, I want to say about 60% of the snaps in this. I think it might have been 36 out of 50, 35 out of 57. That's what it was as far as I count them. Um, did a good job in a combination of pass rush, run defense, uh, roles in this game did a decent job of holding the point of attack uh, shared a sack not letting fields get out of the backfield with Bowser sorry not Bowser um, Houston uh, and also uh, made good plays against the run including a, a, a very nice penetration that didn't end up in a, in a stop but it should have been it should have totally blown up the play just no one else uh, came in behind him to to finish it. So uh, nice, nice positive things. And to cap it off, he got the, he got, he was awarded the tackle. I think it was actually Bynes who got it, but he was awarded the tackle and he was the, the guy who stood up and finished um, uh, Montgomery on the fourth mm-hmm. and one play. Yeah. But he's a guy that Ravens are going to need to, to uh, he's an X factor to me in a lot of ways, right? Cause you, yeah. you got this great play from Campbell and the three edge guys that we've already talked about. If that a BK, can find that next year and really like, like just have some like really gold star, hot, super high impact games. They're going to influence, they're going to tip the balance of the games that those things happen. Um, and, And hopefully the Ravens can find a way to put them in a position to be able to do some of that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's pretty cool when they can play, one three five with those guys, and yeah. and and they've done a fair amount of this, but but that means the nose tackle is basically shaded to the same side as Campbell, who's playing a five tech outside shoulder of the naked tackle, 
when they do that. And then they can move in um, uh, Matabike on the opposite three. That sets Matabike up with the opportunity to get a one-on-one matchup with that guard. And that's where Matabike really shines. And a lot of those opportunities in a, in a normal game go to Campbell because they play, you know, one, three and Campbell's one of those guys. And, and, you know, Matabike doesn't get those opportunities, but when they have that particular alignment, they can move Bowser off ball, don't play their second outside linebacker on the line of scrimmage. And they, and they, uh, uh, they get real value out of that. I think from a, as a pass rush package. Yeah. The, the, the Ravens, uh, I mean, with the guys that they have being able to rush the passer there, there's a lot there. I mean, and I mentioned this earlier, I think, the spot that the Ravens have to figure out how they want to use is I, I still think is it's all going to come down to safety, you know, especially with Elliott being out Clark is having a mediocre year. I think overall, they've got to figure out how they want to use those safeties in the broader scheme in a way that's not going to let them get burned um, and make a decision about whether they want to use them genuinely as kind of like true, just safety protector kind of guys or whether they want to use them as chess pieces. But I think they can use those safeties to be deceptive in terms of what they're showing in terms of pass coverage and then be deceptive with those five guys right between Bowser, Houston, Matabike, Campbell, and Owe. Be deceptive with those guys on the line and be deceptive in terms of what your defense is on the backside of that. that that's a really effective potential defense to me um, if the Ravens can kind of get that figured out. Is Geno Stone a guy that you think figures into that free safety discussion for the rest of this year? Because the, the implication seems to be that Stevens can't handle a complex set of coverage responsibilities. I don't think I disagree with that. That Clark isn't really isn't really having a great year. I don't know if I agree with that. I think he's I think he's okay and I think I think I think he's the guy you really need to depend on. But but what about a, a larger role for Stone where if Stevens really can't be your back end guy, maybe you play Stone on some earlier downs and not just in the dime package. I, I'm a big Geno Stone fan. I was really happy when the Ravens ended up drafting him the first go around. I was upset when they cut him and happy when they brought him back. I think <laughs> I think he's a super instinctual player, which the and and kind of like an intellectual player from that regard, which is not something the Ravens seem to have. The Ravens have seemed to have bent and maybe this is part of why some of these big plays and things are happening. They've seemed to have bent a little bit more to the physical trait side of things overall and a little bit away from kind of the cerebral player. And Geno Stone to me was always, at least from what I saw on tape from him in Iowa, was much more the cerebral, like not like you weren't seeing these flashy plays, but he would just pop up in the right place at the right time when he needed to. And so I would give, I mean, I would give him a shot over Stevens in some of those safety opportunities. He's been around longer. He's going to know a little bit more. It's going to make a little bit more sense. I would take, and and it's not that it's not that I think that Clark has had a bad year. I just think that the way the defense has kind of played collectively, they need their safeties to be more safeties than they, than the Ravens have ever really asked of them. And if they convert them to that, I think, I think the defensive performance will improve really, really quickly um, because yeah. then we'll start to see, I, I'd love to see the Ravens play more like either like cover two shell a little bit more zone, like let these guys kind of like he plays in front of them. And I think some of this stuff will clean itself up. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that stone is your guy. If you truly want back end safety play and the guy who looks for the overthrow, as I say, you know, it, it, a huge problem for this Ravens team is not getting turnovers. You want to create turnovers, get Geno Stone in there. That'll help. That will really help. You'll get a couple more turnovers probably over the course of just the remainder of the year in terms of him finding the football either in the air or on the ground as the second guy to the ball, whatever it might be, because that's what he looks for. Um, he's Desha- Deshaun Elliott um, always went for the hit. 
And, and you know, it, it just does not lend itself to top-end bracket coverage. There's also, if you know Deshaun Elliott is back there and you're a quarterback, you probably fear the back end of that bracket a little bit less, too, which might be a psychological disadvantage the Ravens are at. Stevens probably does not engender fear yet in that way either. I think Stone maybe more so would, although they're going to have to learn to get, they're going to have to see him make a pick or two before they're completely afraid of him. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I mean, the Ravens, the Ravens are going to have to, they're going to have to roll out whatever they're going to roll out and they're going to have to, they're going to have to do it quickly because we're, we're on the heels of five divisional games, but all teams over 500 it's, it's, you know, we're, we're down to the wire and, and it's going to be close. Okay, I'm gonna have to. We have to accelerate a little bit here because I see we're over an hour already. Damn, I love talking football with you, man. I, I got to say, this is just it's, the time always flies. Let's talk defensive MVPs in this game. Uh, you, you've got a three-two-one prepared. Uh yeah. I, I mean, do you want to? We start at three. Yeah, go go with your number three. Who's your? Number yeah, number three? three would be Patrick Queen for me. Okay. Good, good choice. Certainly been playing well recently. He deserves it uh, uh, in terms of, of, of that play. Justin Houston still my number three guy. Uh, I've got a write-up for him in the article here. A number of pressure events. And you know what's interesting about Justin in this game is he's a guy who loves to play that wide nine technique and, and then expose that tackle to a wide array of different moves that he can make. He can, he can, he can, go, he can dip. He can go to the inside. He can spin. He can do a lot of things. But it was mostly bull rush in this game. It's just he he found that he could get leverage on that on that left tackle mostly sometimes on the right tackle and, and push him right back into the quarterback and when he did then uh, uh, you know that was that was very effective I guess I'm looking at my notes it's mostly Borum the right tackle that he took advantage of in that way one time uh, I also Jason wonder Peters. if some of that was the field I mean the, apparently the, the field conditions were allegedly terrible um, huh. and, and you have to you have to think that that takes a lot of advantage away from the offensive linemen and, and and you know you're you're trying to spin or dip or do any of those kind of things and you can't get your footing then then it's not going to be there so you know who knows that's interesting that was showing up a fair amount when we did the offensive line scoring is Villanueva though he's getting beat a lot of the night was it was getting a lot of pancakes on pass blocking yeah, so that's those guys were, yeah. yeah that, well, the terrible the offensive hold at the at, in on the last drive, which was a terrible call, was just right. Quinn falling down, you know, in, in right. that same instance. Yeah. All right. So uh, Houston's my two guy. Yeah, I thought I thought just okay. he was all, all around just give you gives you kind of what you needed from the edge and was consistent and steady and everything you'd want in that instance. All right. Matt Abike, my number two guy. Uh, uh, I think the Ravens really need him to play well down the stretch right now. I, I hope this, the injury status of Campbell is not serious. I really didn't like that they were making fun of him in the game as if he's faking this injury because then he missed time. He didn't come back right away the next series. And I, I was like, OK, this isn't funny at all, you know, that they're that they're they're talking about this. But uh, uh, Matt Abike, regardless of whether Campbell's healthy or not, Wolf and apparently Brandon Williams are not going to be. And if that's the case where they aren't, Brandon Williams is not now and Wolf is not going to be, they're going to need a lot more snaps out of Medibike down the stretch. They're going to need him to play well if they want to have a playoff hope. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully, hopefully Campbell's healthy. You don't want to see any of these guys get hurt. You know, I think there's some jadedness from these announcers that have seen plenty of guys fake, yep. fake get hurt. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to give them a pass, but they, they sure, certainly shouldn't be making light of injuries. But I, I also think that, I also think that Romo and Nance were looking for some fun because it was it was a pretty rough game overall to call. <laughs> yeah, t- a tough game. I assume we have the same number one guy. Yeah, Tyus Bowser. I think is a is the clear winner. All right, I think so clearly too. Uh, outstanding game. Let's go, let's go to the mailbag real quickly, if you will, Whippy, and we'll we'll do about uh, three or four questions if we can. Uh, I'll start with Joe Grubbs at Two Grubby. 
uh, says, are the defense's heavy blitzes, six or seven plus rushing, not getting to the QB as quickly this year? It feels like QBs are getting more time to throw than they should against those calls and making big plays. I, I think that's a natural byproduct of them failing badly on one key play yesterday. I mean, obviously, we, we, we made the point that they made seven of eight of those plays pretty damn well. Um, uh, I do think they messed it up badly on that play. It was part on the blitz uh, and, and the fact that Stevens took too long to, to show up there. Uh, when he's one of the key players that needs to get in in about 2.2 or 2.4 seconds to get into the throwing cone in that period of time to to imperil Dalton. Yeah, I, I think I think there's some recency bias for sure, where you see successful plays, so you're like, oh, they didn't get there, oh, it didn't happen. But I also think that there is a tendency for teams against the Ravens to expect the blitz and to be prepared and ready and have practice to get the ball out faster. So I think that that in that sense, you have to raise the bar of what you're trying to do from a blitz perspective or or tone it back and take those throwing lanes away. Um, and so you kind of get a little, it's a little bit of both sides of the coin there. I think that the blitz packages, generally speaking, have been equally effective. I just think that, you know, the league, the league has come to expect it and they've come to expect what Wink has done. And, and there, there are only so many creative things that you can do in terms of the rush that the teams won't have seen and have prepared for in some of these instances. Yeah. Your turn. If you want to find one, I'll look for another. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we had a question about, um, you know, giving up the big plays and whether there's the kind of the schematic thing that can be done on, on Wink's part to, uh, to, to be able to uh, approach that. That's from uh, go Ravens Andrade. And, you know, I, I think the Ravens need to play more zone. We talked a little bit about wanting more turnovers. The Ravens play a lot of man. They stay heavy in man because of the way they approach the pass rush. I think they can play more zone. They could take away more throwing windows. They could help their defenders a little bit more. I think it would help run fits a little bit more. I think it would help the kind of like broader approach, even on that screen pass where uh, Mooney ran in for the touchdown. Basically, everybody just ran by it to the right because they were either running to their man or running who against whoever was blocking them. And I think in some of those instances, you just put a couple more guys behind there and you're going to win numbers games and you're going to have better run fits. Um, and I think some of that can can clean itself up and and give Wink a little bit more deception. I think that that at times it feels a little predictable in big moments that we're going to be in man and we're going to blitz. Uh, I, I if if you're saying it's more deceptive that they would go to zone, maybe I agree with that. Maybe they can find ways to rotate into cover three that are, are non traditional, like bring a guy off the line of scrimmage as part of your front four and cover three, correct? Or your front three and cover three. But but you know that's one thing that happened against Miami. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, Jordan. Their nose tackle, uh, Adam Butler, dropped eighteen times into into zone as as part of a two man cover. Scheme, so they they had they, they yeah they had cover zero blitzes, but they had they had eighteen uh, sorry they had twenty four in total of the game, but eighteen of them involved Butler simulated pressures in the game. So they basically were able to maintain their edge advantages in numbers. The Ravens had unoccupied dance partners or, or linemen unoccupied with dance partners on the inside of that formation. It's the most frustrating situation of all. Your quarterback is still getting hit in, in, in record time, and your guys have no one to block. And, and Adam Butler, he, there's not a lot of things he can do to help you, but you know, that's the kind of there, – there is a level of deception there that I don't think Wink is as – made tremendous use of because Wink generally does not like to drop his linemen specifically into coverage. I was talking about it. I think maybe 18 times that might be a total years number 
for Wink. And now if it was Rex Ryan, he'd, he'd do 50 in a year. You know, he'd, he'd be happy to do more. But uh, but that's one way where Wink well, is a little bit less aggressive. I feel like I remember Calais Campbell's very first game as a Raven yes. player. You yes. know, so, and, and again, right, like maybe it is five or seven times a game, right? But like I, I think the Ravens can – can show man and and be in zone more. I think they can show cover one and be in cover two more. I think they're they're more creative. They can be more creative in a zone approach on the back end in a deceptive way from a pass coverage perspective. And and let's be frank, that's what we're seeing is effective against Josh Allen. That's what we're seeing be effective against Patrick Mahomes. Those are the kind of things the Ravens are going to have to do if they get to the playoffs to be successful at some point down the road. Right. No, I, I agree. It's and it is more a case of the Ravens that their outside linebackers have such good coverage qualities, you know, with with always speed, ability to jam, all the things. I mean, and of course, Bowser is the best outside linebacker covering in football, but also is probably the Ravens best coverage linebacker, period. You know, you tend to drop those guys more than you would drop an interior guy. But it, it was it was a lot of fun to see in the old days what Kelly Gregg or Haloti Nada dropped in coverage would bring to the table because <laughs> that, uh, that was fun. All right, I think we have to call it here in terms of questions here. Jordan, absolutely a thrill always to talk football with you. Great to sit down here, and it always ends up being an hour and 20 when it should be an hour. But, uh, but really enjoy it. I, I, I don't hear a lot of people complaining about the length of the episodes, which is good. So if you're still listening at this point, you could drop me a note on Twitter saying, I do or I don't mind <laughs> about, the, about the length of these episodes. But uh, Jordan, tell folks where they can talk football with you. Yeah, you guys can check us. Uh, I, I do a, uh, The Situation Room, which is a podcast with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. And you guys can find me on Twitter. I'm at Raven Sit Room. He's at Gabe Ferky. We're trying to break down games, take a look at plays and approaches and schemes and, and kind of what we're seeing on the film um, in some of those games. So we'd love to see you there. Pod is posted on all the places you normally look for pods. I'm sure it's also on the website on filmstudybaltimore.com. If you want to go there, it's 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 right in there mixed with the, with the pods that uh, I produce. So uh, much appreciate anyway having you on again. If you if folks out there, if you want to do a 25 years episode with me, still have a few of those to do, but time is running out. So hit me up pretty soon with your idea. Narrow topic. We'll go deep on it in about 20 minutes. And uh, anything from Ravens history is is up for grabs, uh, except for the normal hackneyed topics. So try and come up with something that's that's uh, that's narrow. We go deep on. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.